The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. Happy Draft Day. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. Thursday, April 23rd. We've got a couple episodes dropping today. Uh, this one will feature five-time executive of the year, friend of the show, GM, not actually making his first appearance, Scott Pioli. Uh, now who works with us at CBS Sports. We will be talking about um, his experience in war rooms, uh, you know, what, what a virtual draft will be like for these teams, uh, what it was like drafting Tom Brady. There's some very interesting nuggets uh, as it relates to that selection, I thought. Um, and uh, additionally, a lot of other cool things from uh, prior drafts. You can go to the feed and check out the Gambling Primer. We have all the props you could possibly want to bet on. Myself, R.J. White, and Kenny White, cousin Kenny, and, no, Uncle Kenny and cousin RJ, um, uh, th- that's what they call themselves. We broke down our best bets for props this year, and I recommend you go check those out as soon as possible if you're listening to this on Thursday because the, those lines move a lot. We also have a bunch of prospect interviews in the feed. Myself, Ryan Wilson, John Breach doing interviews. Breach is out there talking to Frickin' Rodrigo Blankenship and the man with the Rex specs. You're supposed to ask him if he knew who Chris Sabo was. Well, you'll find out by listening if he did just that. And, uh, coming up, of course, uh, the Super Friends final preview podcast will be in the feed. You can check that out and draft reactions every single night. Reminder, if you're listening on draft day and the draft hadn't started yet, go to CBS Sports HQ. We are, I am hosting a live hour leading up to the draft from 7 to 8 p.m. from the comfort of my uh, my office. Here in Raleigh, I will be hosting that, and we'll be hosting 6 to 7 p.m. on Friday, and then 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. noon on Saturday. So would love for you guys to come hang out with us. You can watch it on CBS Sports HQ, uh, our live 24-7 streaming sports network, in your app. Uh, wherever you get it, whether it's on your TV with Roku, Amazon Fire, et cetera, or uh, just on your uh, on CBSSports.com. A lot going on. Let's get to some draft talk with Scott Pioli. All right, Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, the, the draft is here. Today is, uh, we, we recorded this on Wednesday, uh, April 22nd, but the show, as, as we do on the Pick 6 podcast, this is now, uh, through the magic of time, space continuum and back to the future style, uh, uh, jumping through, uh, 
you know, cars and hoops and all all that. It is now Thursday, <laughs> April 23rd. The draft is upon us. Happy draft day, Scott. Happy draft day to you too, Will. Thanks for having me on. It should be a lot of fun today. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, of course, we'll have uh, recaps from all the drafts coming up uh, later. But um, I am curious your thoughts as a, a former GM what is how do, do you feel any sympathy for these guys having to deal with the virtual draft? Uh, sympathy is not the right word. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure what the right word is, but you know, it's interesting. I've talked to so many people, GMs, head coaches, assistant coaches, personnel directors, scouts. Um, you know, and I started those conversations about, you know, over, over the months ago. And as we've gotten closer and there was that short uh, or that small bit of time, Will, where they were, talking about, you know, asking the league to postpone it, push it back. And there was a lot of hand-wringing and worry going on. Um, As time has gone on, particularly in the last several weeks, the last three weeks, teams have accepted it. The general managers and the head coaches and the people that are doing it have accepted it. And they're not feeling sorry for themselves at all. Um, So I don't think any of us should. I think – Here's what's happened. This has been beautiful to watch, Will, is at first I think we heard people complaining, leaking things out, um, trying to maybe build in excuses or or just the the lack of comfort and all the uncertainty just didn't have people comfortable. But I think what's happened here is, and again, this is the beauty of, of the game of football, is that you get put in situations that you may not be comfortable with. They are what they are, and you better figure it out. But that, you know, because that's a microcosm of life. Here we are. Um, here's this great opportunity. There's a lot of real problems out in the world. You're going to be picking players. Yes, there's going to be some potential hiccups. Yes, there's going to be some road bumps, but suck it up and let's go. And I I think as I've talked to more and more people the last week, that's where everyone's head is at. And so they're not feeling sorry for themselves, so, so nor should we. Yeah, you know, I always think about when they announce rule changes at the owners' meetings and then, um, or like before the, you know, the coaches' breakfast and, and at press conferences, Bill Belichick is asked like, oh, like, how are you going to deal with the fact that they're, you know, doing the pass interference replay? And he's like, we're, you know, it's, we're going to deal with it. It is the reality. You know, exactly. It's, like, it's the reality of the situation. So we're going to operate in the reality of the situation. Any time spent complaining is time that you're not preparing, right? Exactly right, Will. You're hitting the nail on the head. And that's, again, the people that are the true competitors, the people that have confidence in what they do, understand that all 32 teams have the same set of rules. They have the same set of issues, the same set of circumstances. And it's just like we ask coaches to do, right? There's head coaches every week where they may be missing four or five starters. They don't have a choice. They're going out there to play the game, right? They, they don't have a choice. You can't, nah, let's, let's put it off till next week. I don't have all my guys healthy. No, that's the way it is. And these are the circumstances, whether it's rules changes, like you say, whether it's a new way of doing things, whether it's player injuries. I mean, heck, there's weeks, players, a lot of weeks where players aren't playing 100%. Sure. And no one's feeling sorry for them. They have to go out on the field and perform. And this, is, this entire industry is a performance-based business. Are these things going to be uncomfortable, the virtual draft? Are there some possibilities for some issues? Yeah. Have you, have we not been able to get all the information the way that we've done it traditionally over the last couple of years? That, that, that may be true, but it, you know, it's here and let's go. I, I do think there is, and this is, this is, this is the same as it would be in football. I do think there is per, 
perhaps a an advantage um, for a team like the Patriots because uh, versus and I'm not I'm not picking on the Browns here, but uh, maybe the Panthers is a the Panthers have Marty Herney, so I'll say the Browns. Uh, Andrew Barry. First time, uh, you know, full blown GM there and, and, uh, and Kevin Stefanski, first time head coach and active owner is how I'll describe Jimmy Haslam as well. Um, so you have three people making decisions and sort of working on this process and discussing. Whereas in New England, you have one guy who has the final say so. Do you think, you know, not, not using those two specifically, but just in general, doesn't it behoove? It is a, sm- a small advantage well, to have a one one power broker in the conversation, right? I, well, I, I would just push back on that sure. little because, again, uh, perception and reality is I don't think that there's any place, including New England, where everything is just done by one person. And there's, um, you know, Bill's doing it in, in coordination with Nick Casario yep. and with Ernie Adams. I mean, that is the truth. I know what everything looks like. Um, but, but I think that's the way it is with every organization. You know, when we say Marty Herney's doing it in, in Carolina, but the reality is these decisions that are made on drafts and on players across the league. Now, there's always one person that may have the final say so, but the reality is the decisions are rarely, and I mean rarely made just by one person doing all the work and, and making a decision. So to me, I think Carolina is a good example, and Cleveland is a good example also, not to beat up on the Browns, but I mean just from the standpoint that you have less continuity at those places this year specifically. Marty Herney has been there. David Tepper's been there a couple years. But really, the people making the decisions are the head coach and the general manager or the player personnel director. And in Carolina, you've got a new head coach who's running his first ever NFL draft. He has a little bit of NFL experience. But that's where it's going to make it a little bit difficult. You know, you've got Andrew Berry in Cleveland, who's, you know, making, he's a first time general manager and a first time head coach. They're, they're working on their relationship and trying to find their way as well as make these decisions. So I just push back on the idea that even the teams, it's more about the established leadership group or leadership couple. Um, and, and that's where it's, where those teams, seem to have some degree of an advantage. Yeah, that that may have been a yeah, I I I agree with that completely like the the if you've done it, like John Schneider and Pete Carroll, for instance, they've done it enough for so many years now in Seattle that right. it's not going to be difficult to navigate uh, a critical decision, um, you know, depending on how a board breaks. But I, but I like it's going to be it's going to be tricky. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, I, you know, how much you've been in multiple uh, draft rooms over the years? How much do these differ? Um, you know, how much does each does it differ team to team? Do you think? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So even though I was in different rooms, you know, again, I started in, in 92 with the Cleveland Browns and then was with the Browns up until uh, they moved to Baltimore. And then I was still under contract and spent a year with Baltimore under different leadership, but really the same family. Right. Then uh, go to the New York Jets, 97, 98, 99. Again, really pretty much the same family, so to speak. And um, the, the processes um, that were in place uh, and the systems were very much the same. And then from the Jets to New England, and then from New England to the, um, the Kansas City Chiefs. So all of those years really was pretty much in the same family uh, of doing things. And within the draft room, the way that those things were done um, – Primarily, we kept it a very small group. It was a working day. 
And this is a little bit before, you know, I, I learned in the time before draft, room, draft rooms became and the draft itself became entertainment. It was mm-hmm. always entertainment on television when they were showing it from Madison Square Garden or Radio City Musical, you know, wherever they were showing the draft from in New York. Um, that was the entertainment. Cameras hadn't begun to creep into the draft room yet. Um, there were people that were interested. Um, but the way that we did it in all those years was there was, you know, between, I'd say, 8 to 12 people in the draft room max. Mm. And that included the, you know, the head coach and the personnel director or general manager, whatever that title was, the owner, um, maybe one other family member. And then, you know, the college director, some of the college scouts select people um, because it, it was a workplace and a work environment. And there was so much going on, whether it was trade calls or um, it was never chaos. And part of the reason it was never chaos is because it was a very controlled environment. Um, and you wanted to be able to think and hear yourself think and talk to other people, you know, without ca- conversations carrying too wide or, or too much noise. So it was a very controlled environment. Now, over the last several years, um, there's different people that have different ways of doing things. And there, you'll see the teams that they have, you know, large groups of people. They bring fans through or, you know, um, advertisers or the you know, marketing department will bring people in, um, you know, which, again, that's part of the entertainment, I guess, you know, and there's value for it. But for the most part, my career was a very, very controlled environment where, um, you know, there are three very busy days now where it used to, again, it used to be two days, but you are getting ready to spend millions upon millions of dollars. I mean, at the end, between salaries, contracts, the process, the scouts are being paid, you spent tens of millions of dollars um, for these two days of work, uh, which is now three days of work. And there's a lot of very serious decisions being made. Yeah, and a, a lot of jobs on the line. One of the things that I, um, you know, I think the Patriots, uh, while you were there, sort of became known for, and I mean, no real surprise, uh, New England's, you know, calling card over the years is, uh, being ahead of the NFL economy, so to speak, um, but trading back, which, uh, you know, later, yeah. like later became a, uh, you know, became like football money ball. Even though, you know, there were teams that had already realized that the more draft capital you have, and I think Baltimore did this, has done this as well for a long time under Ozzie Newsom. We see it with, um, and now Eric DaCosta. We see it, uh, in Seattle a lot. And I think we'll see a lot of tradebacks in this year's draft. Um, it, it, it was a philosophical approach from the get-go in New England to start trading back and accumulating more picks and, and more opportunities to take players, right? Absolutely. And, and we saw it and, and we did it a ton and we, we prefer to move back. I can count the number of times that we actually um, moved up. I remember one year um, we just moved up one spot in 2003. We were sitting at 14, and we moved up one spot um, to make sure that we secured Ty Warren, who was a defensive lineman who mm. we loved, who was a tremendous player, uh, a, you know, an uncelebrated player, but a tremendous player that had a lot to do with us winning championships. Um and we moved up one spot. We gave up a sixth. And then the other time that I remember off the top of my head was in 01 when um, when we moved up after the first round. We picked Richard Seymour in the first round, and then the sixth. I mean, in the second round, we moved up only two spots from 50 to 48 in order to secure Matt Light. But again, we only gave up a sixth round pick because we felt 
having extra picks would allow us to move if we had something we really, really needed to do. But the other part of it um, is, is this. We always viewed additional picks, and picks are currency. They have great value to do a number of things. And you want to accumulate as many as possible to have the freedom to move up and down the board or to select players. Like, you know, there was the – in 07, we used a second-round pick to trade for Wes Welker. But the other thing is this, Will, and, and, and this is the truth of it. I think Bill and I were both realists enough to know that um, you're going to miss on a bunch of players that you pick. Mm-hmm. And general managers and head coaches don't like to talk about the misses. They don't like to – um, acknowledge that they're going to miss on a lot of picks, but the reality is every single one of us do, right? You go back to there's only right now three people with gold jackets that, that were GM, and that's Ron Wolf and Bill Polian and Bobby Bethard, and they had some great picks. They also had their share of misses. Now, I think once you acknowledge and know that you're going to have some misses, you want to have more, more at-bats so you can get mm. have a chance of having a higher average. So knowing that we weren't that smart, knowing that we weren't smarter than other people or better than other people, we felt if we had more currency and more opportunities to make picks, we had a better chance of filling out our roster with players under rookie contracts. Because the reality is, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned at bats. I mean, it's it's like baseball. You know, you if you if you have a you know if you're hitting three thirty three percent. That sounds terrible when you say 33%. That's you the whole thing. Yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> you're yeah. going to get, yeah, I mean, you're going to Cooperstown in baseball. <laughs> you, you really are. And, the, you know, I think, I, I think we forget about it as we're, you know, preparing for the draft and screaming about which wide receiver is better and whether Tua is healthy or not. But like, you're, you're, you're effectively trying to get into the psyche of, uh, you know, a, a 21 to 23 year old, Adult male, which I mean, I've, you know, I've been one. Good luck. Good luck with that. Right. I mean, like <laughs> the lunatics. And I say that again as a, as a, someone who is a real pain in my parents rear from ages like 21 to 23. Um, and, and maybe, maybe beyond and before, but, um, you know, I, I just think that like, a, a, you're dealing with that. And, you know, you go back and you think about the, 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 the great safe picks of all time. Like I, I'll never forget Aaron Curry who came out of Wake Forest. Like, I was oh, convinced. Yeah, absolutely. Like that guy was the safest pick on the, on the planet. And he, he just, it just, he, he, I don't know if he didn't care or injuries happened. It just, it just didn't work out. Yeah. And that's the thing you, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's injuries. Sometimes there are injuries that there's so many things that can happen. You hope that you're going to get a player into the fold. You're going to bring them in that they'll match your culture. They'll respond to your culture. And these are all the things that you think you know. Um, and you have a pretty good feeling and a pretty good, um, you know, there's a, there's a good opportunity, but there are times it doesn't work out. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you understand, know, and realize that you're not going to nail it every time. And the more picks that you have, the more opportunity you have to get it right. Absolutely. Um, and it involves humility as well. Right. You got to be, you got to, you got to admit you're dumber to be smarter or something like that. Um, (laughs) the, the, one of the, one of the all time great picks and, and you were there and look, this goes back to why you need more picks because sometimes great things happen in the later rounds. Uh, you know, I, you you scroll up and down the New England draft history and you see, uh, you know, in, in like 08, Matthew Slater is a fifth round pick who has been a stalwart on the, uh, uh, for the franchise and then of course, he was uh, one of my 
Okay, interrupt. I'm sorry. He was one of my favorite picks. That was my last draft in New England, and we loved the guy. He was two-time Pac-10. I think it was even Pac-10 before it was the 12. Um, special teams player of the year. He had 22 special teams tackles his junior year. I mean, it was outrageous. Jeez. And, um, you know, guy, we thought he was going to be a player. He was the total package as a makeup guy. We thought he'd have an opportunity to also be, a, you know, pop, because of his speed, possibly be a returner. Um, yeah, I'll tell you another middle-round guy, that was Danny Topin, who was a huge part of our success. Right. Um, with a fifth round pick also. Um, and, and then this, uh, this guy named Tom Brady that maybe some people have heard oh, of. Oh, yeah. That you guys drafted into that. I mean, that's the, like, that's the thing. It, it's weird because for years now, it's sort of, I like to consider it the Michael Jordan syndrome. Like people, you know, a, a, a star player comes into, um, the, the NBA and it's like, can, can he be the next Jordan? And it's the same thing with the draft. It's like, oh, you know, like, uh, Luke Falk taken in the sixth round. Can he be the next Tom Brady? It's like, probably not because Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time and won six championships. So odds are sort of stacked against Luke Falk or whoever we're talking about from the sixth round. It's so unfair to compare players to other players, especially, you know, young players when they're coming in. And I think people see certain things or certain characteristics. And they start making these assumptions and labeling players in such an unfair way. Um, even players start having success. Oh, is he the next Brett Favre? Because this guy's. it's like, let players be who they are. Right. Now, if you want to say, well, he kind of runs similarly to, you know, Joe Smith, or he has a similar, you know, he has a similar gait, or he has, you know, a similar cutting style to, but to compare or to try to make one player out to be another player, it's so unfair. It's unfair to the player that's being labeled that way, and it's truly unfair to the player that that you're making the standard. For sure. Ken, um, I am curious, though, like with Brady, uh, you know, was that, again, a sixth-round pick? And let's be clear, like a sixth-round pick is not a sizable piece of draft capital. You pointed out you guys moved from 14 to 13 one spot for a six round pick. It is, I mean, it, it is an important pick, yeah. but it's not expensive. Had you guys been, I, I'm, I'm curious about the process for drafting Tom Brady and, um, and like you know, how long you were looking at drafting him, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, part of the background is really important. Will. So in 2000, when we arrived, Bill and I arrived at the Patriots from the New York Jets, we right. got there and we're looking at the roster. The roster had 41 players that were counting against it at that point in time that were going to be counting against the cap for the upcoming season. However, those 41 players were already going to take us $10.5 million over the cap. Wow. So the first order of business was to get make sure that we got the – we had to renegotiate some contracts. We had to cut a few veteran players. It was a very um, top-heavy team in terms of salaries, and there were some older players um, that had big contracts that we had to move on, move on from. So by the time we got under the cap, um, and this was in late January, early February – got ourselves under the cap. We were sitting there with 39 players. Then we started signing some very, um, a, a number of street free agent players or unrestricted free agent players that were very, very low salary or for minimum wage type deals to build up the roster before we got to the draft. As we're looking at our roster that whole time, you know, when we're at 39 players, we literally couldn't line up a team to play a game. I mean, we couldn't Jeez. go play a game because we were, you know, 
at different positions, we had, there was no names on the depth chart as you were looking at it. <laughs> the one position that was loaded was quarterback. We had Drew Bledsoe under this, you know, one, I think it, one of the highest, if not the highest quarterback contracts in the entire National Football League. Behind him was a player by the name of John Freeze, and we had a number three quarterback by the name of Michael Bishop uh, out of Kansas State. So when you looked at the roster and you're doing this balance or this juggling uh, trick of best player versus need, as we're going through the draft, you know, we had our board stacked. The first time that we really started talking about Brady seriously was in the fourth round. You know, we had seen him. We knew about him. We actually had sent our quarterback, Dick Rabine, out to work him out in a private workout. You know, I had seen him play. Uh, when I was with the Jets in 99, I saw him play when they were uh, Michigan was playing Syracuse. We had an idea and a feel for the player. But as we're going through the draft, he was a player that, again, we had a grade on that was better than a sixth-round grade, but an additional quarterback really was a luxury. And we had so many other big needs, particularly up front and at the corner position. So as the draft went on, you know, we start looking at each other at the fourth round. His name comes up amongst other people. We have a fifth round. But by the time we get to the sixth round, we're kind of looking at each other. We had two picks in the sixth round, and we picked another player before him in the sixth round. <laughs> right. I believe it was Antoine Harris, a corner out of, out of Virginia. Yep. Because, again, we had the needs. We felt that Antoine Harris, we felt, could come in that season, line up for us possibly as our slot corner, right, our third corner, our, yep. our nickel corner, and also contribute on special teams. We knew that we were taking a player with Antoine Harris who was going to be going to the game on Sundays in the, at the sixth rounder that season. Yet we're looking at Brady, and we're like, okay, is he in jail this morning? Did, did he die? <laughs> Why hasn't anyone else taken this guy? Or, or we've really screwed up this evaluation. But then after Tick Harris, we're looking at each other and we're like, we got to take this guy. We like him too much. And, and that's really the story behind it. And um, again, but I want to be clear, when I say we were talking about him and we had a higher grade on the guy, it's not like we had a first or second round or third round grade on the player. That would be untrue, even though I've heard other teams and other people uh-huh. um, tell their stories about their draft <laughs> rooms and how they had a first round grade on, they had a third round grade on, but you know, you hear personnel people say, well, the coaches didn't like him. Then you hear the coaches say, well, the, the personnel department didn't like him. Well, fortunately, in our building, we all liked him and we had greater needs. But then he, by by the grace of God, he was still there for uh, that pick at 199. Well, I mean, it, it is funny, too. It's like the hindsight of... Yeah, you know, we had a first round grade on him. It's like, well, then you, you should be, you should have drafted him in the third or fourth round <laughs> or even the fifth round. You know, it's like exactly right. Yeah. At some point in time, the, the value of a player, even if you have to, like I said, you know, you go back and forth. Most teams go back and forth. They'll either talk about best player available or need and you go back and forth. If you've got a player that's at such a high grade relative to, to the other remaining players, and you keep passing him up, or you pass him up, and there's that big of a variance. Well, then that's negligence on the part of the person picking, and and that's where it was becoming with us with with Brady was that okay, we understand we have three quarterbacks, but this is too big of a value in terms of the best player available at this point. 
Well, uh, it, it worked out fairly well as, uh, as they say. All right. Uh, Scott Pioli, uh, thank you so much for the time. Um, I know you've got lots of stuff to do. We have, uh, prep to get ready for CBS Sports HQ. Yeah. Ex, ex, uh, exciting draft coverage. You'll be, uh, I assume you'll be, uh, from home, right? They're not, they're not making, you know, they're making Wilson go to, well, they're not making, I shouldn't say that. They're, Wilson is going, uh, to a, Ryan Wilson's going to a studio in Connecticut. Tell him he's a lunatic to leave wow. his house. Wow. I know, big time. Wow. He's going to be, uh, him. well, that's what happened when you're that good and you're that important. <laughs> that's you're right. Star, Ryan. That's right. That's no, right. He's terrific. I'm telling you, he has been a, a pleasure to work with. And boy, he gets it. He well, really gets it. You, Wilson and I have been podcasting in some form or fashion for like 14 years now. Um, wow. Yeah. We started working together back at AOL Sports in like, in like 2007. So we've been, uh, I've known Ryan for a long time and he does do a fantastic job. And he and, and you do a fantastic job as well, along with Pete Prisco, Brady Quinn, Danny Cannell, tons of people who will be at uh, on CBS Sports HQ. Scott Pioli, thank you so much for your time. This is always a fun conversation. I would keep you for hours. But uh, we got we got work to do, and look forward to the draft, man. Thank you, Will. Have a great day. Talk tomorrow. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go go go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.